You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We're glad you're joining us for another episode. Um, if this is your first time listening, we'd like to say welcome to you and encourage you to come in, stay a while with us, and to uh, listen to what we have to say and maybe listen to some of our older episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, we would encourage you to become a subscriber and download our content on a regular basis. We release new content each Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so, again, we would love to have you join the Bonefire family here and become a subscriber. For those of you who are already part of the Bonefire family, we ask that you would help spread the word about the podcast and that you would uh, help us get a larger reach and more people involved in studying God's word. And uh, I was thinking about ways that you can do that. And uh, probably one of the best ways that you can do that is through social media. Uh, We do have a Facebook page, just the Bonefire Ministries Facebook page. You can go to that page and like and follow that page. Uh, But also there, uh, we have all of our episodes posted um, in what looks kind of like a video format, but you can listen to the the episode right there on the Facebook page. But from that page, you can go in, you can like an episode, you can also um, repost an episode or send a post to someone. And so maybe that's the best way to share uh, what we're doing here on the Bonefire Podcast. If there's an episode that you've really enjoyed, uh, go on Facebook, maybe send it to someone that you you like. Of Of course, you can always just do the old word of mouth and tell people that you work with and people uh, that you go to church with, maybe uh, maybe people in your family about us. Uh, we're just trying to grow uh, the footprint here, get more people studying God's Word and uh, involved in uh, discipleship toward living a holy life. And so that's our goal here. Well, Dad, uh, on this episode, we're going to be continuing our study series uh, through a study we've entitled Dear Church. And for those of you that may be joining us for the first time, and this is the first one you've heard, uh, this particular study series is focusing in on the seven letters uh, from Jesus to seven churches found in the book of Revelation. And Dad, I'm, I'm excited about this episode because we're going to be studying the sixth letter, and that's the letter to the church um, in Philadelphia. And uh, during this series, we've looked at the loveless church, the persecuted church, the compromising church, the corrupt church, and the dead church. But the church in Philadelphia can be best described as a faithful church. Now, the the city or the town of Philadelphia uh, itself was situated in a strategic place. It was about 30 miles south-southeast of Asardis, one of the places we talked about uh, in our last episode. And it was on the main route um, of the Imperial Post. And if you could imagine that being like the the interstate highway, if you will, of the time that led between uh, Rome and to the east, and thus it was called the Gateway to the East. You know, many times we talk about St. Louis, Missouri, you know, the arches there, that's the Gateway to the West. That's right. Well, uh, Philadelphia was considered the Gateway uh, to the East. It was also called Little Athens at times because it was a a city with many temples uh, in the city there. Uh, One of those places of worship, of course, though, was the church, uh, the faithful church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, and it's obvious to see here just because of their location and where they were lo- uh, where they were placed. They were at a place of tremendous opportunity, and as we study this letter, we'll see that the congregants of this church made the most of their opportunity. And let's not 
uh, just you know say that's by happenstance. As we study, we're going to see that that was rather by divine provision of the Lord. So let's dive into this letter and see what Jesus has to say to the faithful church of Philadelphia. Now, as we study this letter, we're going to discuss the four major themes within the letter. We're going to look at the description Christ gave, the door Christ opened, the deliverance Christ promised, and the declaration Christ will make. If you got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with us to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 3 again, and our scripture text for this episode will come from verses 7 uh, through 13. And so uh, we're going to start first and look at that first thing that I mentioned there, the description that Christ gave. And let's look at verse 7 together. Again, chapter 3, verse 7, and it says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. As we see here in this letter, uh, just as we did with the other letters, Jesus opens his letter by giving his readers a description of who he is. And as Jesus describes himself, he speaks to three attributes that emphasizes his holiness and his sovereignty, as well as his authority. First, he says, he who is holy. Now, in the Old Testament, God is described as being holy. In the New Testament, Jesus is declared holy, and the holiness of Jesus reflects his identification with God the Father and the Trinity. There's only one who is holy, an attribute required as the perfect sacrifice. No other man could bear the sin of another man since they could not even bear their own sin. Jesus alone is holy. He's not only holy in the sense of being perfect and without sin, But uh, because of his uniqueness and his separateness, uh, there is none other like him. He is truly holy. So Jesus told the readers, hey, you're dealing with the the one uh, holy God, uh, the, the, the one that there is like no other. He also goes on to say he is true. Now, the the word true there is a reference to Jesus being uh, genuine and and real. Uh, Jesus was stating that he was the one true God, and as such, every word that proceeds from his mouth is undeniable in its accuracy. Not only is Jesus true, but he is the truth. The Bible, of course, tells us that over in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus speaking says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So God and Jesus, in this case, uh, personified as Jesus, is uh, truth. He is true, and everything that he says is true. Uh, He wanted the the people who were reading his letter to understand that they were dealing again with the one true God. And then lastly, he says, he who has the key, referring to the key of David. Now, this reference to the key of David is an allusion uh, to the prophecy of Isaiah from Isaiah 22.22, where uh, Elikim was identified as the Lord's servant who was uh, granted authority to administer the keys of access to David's house. Now, what Isaiah prophesied regarding Elikim was actually a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, who has the absolute authority over the key to the household of God and the eternal kingdom. No one, whether a Jew or a Gentile, enters God's house or takes place among God's people unless Christ grants access or interest 
uh, to him. And so we see here, again, Dad, in his intro, uh, he was emphasizing his holiness, his sovereignty, his authority. He was telling the, the readers, you're dealing with the one true God who's speaking here, and I am in control and over everything. And that was his description. He goes on, though, after that to talk about a door that was open to these Christians in Philadelphia. Dad, tell us a little bit more about that in verse 8. That's right. I'd like to start out by reading verse 8 to begin with. Verse 8, the Bible says, I know your work, says Jesus. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, this particular verse here mentions a door, an open door, which nobody can shut. Well, the idea of doors is fairly is a fairly common one in the pages of the Bible. An open door is a door of opportunity. When the door is closed, the opportunity has passed. Now, in the Bible, the open door metaphor is used in two main senses. The first open door is the opportunity for salvation. Man's problem, man has a problem. His problem is he is a sinner. Now, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all's talking about you and me and everybody. The Bible goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. Our sins have separated us from fellowship with God in this life. And if we remain separated from God throughout this lifetime, we will be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell, a place of torment. Man's problem is sin, but God's solution to man's problem is Christ. The wages of sin is death. But the verse goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life. God the Son, Jesus Christ, He came down to this earth in the form of a man. He was a perfect man. He took the punishment that we deserve for sin upon Himself. He died on the cross of Calvary, paying for our sins. And after He died, He was buried and He rose again. He's in heaven at the present, offering all those on earth who will turn from their sins, trusting him as their Lord and Savior, eternal life. But folks, the opportunity to turn from your sins and receive eternal life from Christ will not always be there. If you were to die today, having never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you would go to hell. And you don't know it. But this could be your last opportunity to be saved because you could die before the day's through. Now, are you willing to gamble with your soul? Furthermore, Jesus Christ could come today in the rapture where he comes to take away his children before he pours out his wrath upon the unbelieving world. And if you're not saved, you will be left behind to go through the great tribulation. And even though there will be people saved during the great tribulation on earth, Most likely, if you refuse Jesus Christ today, you won't be one of them. The scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, teaches that those who knew the truth of the gospel but did not receive Christ would be damned to eternity in hell. And I believe this is referring to after the rapture. If you know the truth and and you take pleasure in your righteousness right now and reject Jesus when the rapture comes, 
then uh, God's going to allow a strong delusion to be put upon you that you might believe the lie of the Antichrist. Now listen to these verses of Scripture, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Paul writes, And for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence, so they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness. So, dear friend, uh, God has given you an opportunity to be saved today. You need to take that opportunity. The Bible tells us to seek the Lord while he can be found. The Bible also tells us that today is the day of salvation. Well, in the Bible, the open door metaphor is used in the sense of an opportunity for salvation and secondly, in the sense of an opportunity for service. More than likely, that's what the open door in verse 8 is specifically referring to. And to be more specific, the open door refers to the right to preach the gospel, uh, the right to evangelize the world. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this type of open door. He did several times in his letters. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. And in Colossians 4, 3, Paul writes, praying at the same time for us as well, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of the gospel. Now, in Jesus' letter to the Philadelphian church, Jesus was pointing out that he was giving this church an exceptional opportunity to evangelize their region. Now, why did God give this church such an abundant opportunity to win the lost? Well, in verse 8, Christ mentioned several reasons. For starters, they were loyal to Christ and to the Scriptures. Jesus said in verse 8, Because you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The Christians in the Philadelphian church did not burn a pinch of incense on the altar in the temple of Caesar and confess him as Lord. And neither did they deny the Lord Jesus when confronted with the question of who they served. They upheld his name. And unlike some of the other churches who tolerated false doctrines and deeds among their midst, the church at Philadelphia strictly adhered to the word of God, holding it up as the standard to go by. Not only were they loyal to Christ and his word, the Bible says they had little strength. Now, some have interpreted this to mean that their numbers were small. This may have been because of the previous persecutions that the church had endured, where many members were killed for their allegiance to Christ. Still yet others interpret the church having little strength to mean that the church members were poor. Well, both interpretations are probably correct. Anyway, these hardships probably helped to keep them on their faces humble before God. Friend, God can do a lot more with a humble man than a proud man who trusts in his own sufficiency. Sometimes to get us to the place where we can be used, the Lord will allow us to have, like Paul, a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what this thorn in the flesh was for Paul, but we know that he prayed three times that the Lord might remove that thorn. And instead of removing it, God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The churches and persons that God is going to give the most opportunities for service to are going to be the ones that stay on their faces humble before God and are loyal to Christ and his word. Now, it's interesting that the city of Philadelphia was founded to be a missionary for Hellenism, like you said a while ago, Matt, uh, to the wide, wild lands that stretch beyond her. Now, in the fullness of time, the door of opportunity was wide open again. But this time, the opportunity was to bring to the lands beyond not the gospel of Hellenism, or of Greek thought and lifestyle, but the gospel of Christ. Jesus said of this church, I have set before you an open door, a missionary opportunity. Every one of us has missionary opportunities. Some people's may be greater than others, but all of us as God's children have them. To give you an illustration, a man moved by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he went to the great London preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and said to him, Mr. Spurgeon, I have it in my soul to win people to Christ. What shall I do? Mr. Spurgeon asked, well, what is your job? What do you do at work? The man replied, well, I drive an engine. I'm an engineer on a railroad. Spurgeon said, is your fireman a Christian? The man replied, I don't know. Mr. Spurgeon said, go back and find him and start with him. Today, there are missionary opportunities all around us, not necessarily in Africa or Asia, even though they're there also, or the lands of the sea, but where we live and work, where you work. But the tragedy is that so many of us miss these opportunities because we are blinded by greed, selfishness, and the love of comfort and pleasure, so much so that we fail to see the door that Christ is open for our personal witness. And sometimes missed opportunities don't ever present themselves again. Let's be alert to the opportunities for witness that Christ gives us and take advantage of them. And let's pray that the Lord will open more doors for the gospel. Now, it could be those of you that are listening to this podcast that God has laid upon your heart someone very specific to witness to. I believe there's a reason the door perhaps is open to go talk to that person about Jesus. You think it's closed, but but the Lord seemingly has laid that person's on your heart. Listen, go to that person now, now before the door closes. I remember when I was a seminary student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary back in the uh, early 80s, I had a professor that was a retired missionary from Japan. He told the class, he said, well, after World War II, you see, when Japan had been defeated, the Japanese worshipped their emperor. They realized he wasn't the God they thought he was. They were open to Christ because the United States proved to be superior in warfare and won. Our God seemed to be stronger than their God. The opportunity was there. A window of opportunity, he called it a window instead of a door, was open to get the gospel. But because 
people had a lot of anger and and uh, animosity toward the Japanese. Relatives of theirs were killed during the war. You know, the bombing of Pearl Harbor and all those 3,000 lives were lost. And, you know, just this protracted war that was terrible, left people maimed and hurt. You know, uh, and also, I imagine, uh, he didn't say this, but people scared to go over there, wondering how we would be treated. Uh, we as a church in America, did not send an adequate missionary force to Japan. When the window, he called it, we would call it the door of opportunity, was open. And he said, eventually that window closed. And now he said, now this was back in the early 80s. He let us know that Japan was a very secularized country. And he was letting us know that it was much harder to win the Japanese to Christ. But had we moved in with the with a strong missionary force, when the window was open, when the door was open, uh, Japan could be a Christian nation today. And that, that, that resonated with me when he told me about that, about how important it is to go through the door when the door is open. Now, we've looked at the door, and Matt, you want me to talk about the deliverance? Yeah, but before you do that, I just want to touch on, on one thing here that, that stood out to me about this door. So we, we talk about uh, the church at Philadelphia being a a faithful church, and and obviously in verse eight we learn a lot about them. The fact that they kept God's word, they were not ashamed of His name, um, and then the fact that they had op- obstacles that were still in their way, but yet they maintained their faith. You talked about their being of little strength. When I was thinking about that, I was taken back to what we talked about last uh, time, last episode. We talked about the church at Sardis, and uh, and so the way I see it is that the church at Philadelphia they obviously had little strength or little power, whether that's size, social prestige, their ability to, you know, influence things around them. Um, They had little strength, but they relied in God to be their strength. They relied for the Holy Spirit to be working for them to be the source of their power. Now, think back to what we talked about last time, Uh Church at Sardis, the dead church, right? Right. They were doing things in their own power, and they were working uh, to to do a lot of busy things, but they were dead because they didn't submit themselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. So, I think that's a good example here of the difference. A a faithful church is one that's uh, being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and a dead church is one that is is going down the path of doing things their own way with their own will and their own power. And so I just wanted to bring that out. The other thing that we'll see, of course, in verse 9 here is not only did they have little strength, but they had opposition Mm-hmm. Uh, from um, the Jews or the counterfeit Jews, if you will, right. uh, that were in the area. And so no doubt, just like we've talked about with the other churches, they faced persecution. Mm-hmm. But even with that persecution being there, they still maintained faith, uh, faithful. And because of that, um, I really feel like God rewarded them with that open door because they were faithful. We talk about many times of us being good stewards mm-hmm. of what God gives us, and I think this is a good example of stewardship. They were faithful with the small things, and they they maintained their faith. They maintained God's commands. They were not ashamed of His His names, and because of that, He opened the door for them to have a huge impact, even though they were relatively weak in, in strength. That's exactly right. Hey, and what you said leads right into the verses. I'm going to read right now, verses 9 and 10. Uh, Jesus said to this church, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And we're going to talk 
uh, right now about the deliverance. Now, apparently, the church at Philadelphia and the church at Smyrna both were under heavy attack, as you've alluded to, Matt, from the Jewish community. Jesus said uh, they were people who claimed to be Jews, but they were not even good Jews. Hmm. Jesus was making no assault upon the Jewish community. He was just saying that they were not Jews. These Jews of the synagogue of Satan, as Jesus called it, were probably busy working against the Christians, spreading lies and rumors about them, causing their property and their jobs to be taken from them. Now, Jesus says of these Jews that he will make them come and bow down before the Christians' feet, not to worship the Christians, oh no, but to acknowledge that the Christians were right. It's not certain whether the Jews in Philadelphia did this during their lifetime or later, but one thing can be said in regard to the persecuted Christians. God will vindicate his own. Now, uh, Romans 12, 9, the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. We have saw what the Lord will do to vindicate his own. But now, notice in verse 10 that the Lord will deliver his people from the hour of tribulation, which can also be translated trial. This trial will come upon all the earth and on them that dwell upon it. Now, this is a trial that's going to come upon the whole earth, the world. Now, in Luke chapter 21, the Lord admonishes us to pray that we might be delivered from the great hour of trial coming upon the earth. Now, through the sweep of time, there are three great ages, the present one, the one that is to come, and in between the present and the one that is to come, the day of the Lord, the day of trial and tribulation. This is the day that is described in the book of Revelation, of which we've already alluded to. As we come to the end of chapter 3 and begin chapter 4 of Revelation, uh, we have come to the point in John's vision where that great hour of the judgment and fury and wrath of the Almighty God begins. Jesus said to this church, Because thou hast kept my word, I will also keep thee from or take thee out of the hour of trial. Christ, the Bible teaches, will come in the air and catch away believers, Christians that are on earth before this hour of trial happens. And this catching away is what we refer to today as the rapture. Now, the Greek word for rapture in the Bible means to catch up, or the Greek word rapture, that we get our word rapture from means to catch up. Christ will catch up his church just prior, I believe, to the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, this trouble that's going to come upon the whole earth and take his bride, the church, to heaven, not leaving anyone in the church to perish or go through the flame and the fire of those days of judgment. Now, we've looked at the description and the door. Now, Matt, you're going to share with us about verses 11 through 13. That's exactly right. And Let's look at verse 11. It says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one can take your crown. So after Jesus goes and, and, and gives the promise of deliverance, um, and again, the, the promise was that 
eventually the Philadelphian church, they would have victory over their enemies. Um, it talks about them uh, falling at their feet and that he was going to save them from that hour of, of tribulation. Again, what we believe to be the great tribulation uh, that's coming in the day of the Lord. He encourages and exhorts uh, the believers there in Philadelphia uh, to be faithful and to hold on. We saw that word many times, to hold on to what they have, um, to hold fast to what you have uh, so that no one can take away your crown. He was, again, encouraging them to to not give up in the fight, to not uh, grow weak in the faith, to continue pressing forward uh, through trials and through uh, temptations and, and even persecution uh, to make it to the day when Jesus does take us home. And, and after that uh, great homecoming that we're going to have, Dad, we are going to have uh, a judgment. Uh, we're going to stand before God, and, and that's what we call the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account for what we've done in our life, and there's going to be a rewards to be had. Uh-huh. Um, and those re- rewards are, as we've talked about on previous episodes, is not for us to hold to ourselves or to put on our head a, a crown, uh, but it's to be thrown back at the feet of Jesus because he is worthy of all the honor and praise. And so Jesus was saying, hey, keep going, keep your chin up, stay strong, uh, continue on to the end, uh, because there is a res- reward waiting on you in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, after going through that, Jesus makes uh, a declaration, and that's kind of our last point, the declaration Christ is going to make, and that's verses 12 uh, through 13. And let's read those uh, together now. It says, he who overcomes, again, we, we've seen that terminology in all the letters about overcomers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Dad, in this declaration, I saw a couple things um, that are are notable here. First is that uh, Jesus says that he is going to make us a pillar in his temple. And I tried to study that and understand exactly uh, what it means. And, and to be honest, uh, I think many of the, the Bible scholars kind of go back and forth, but I think it goes to show that this person, mm-hmm. uh, the overcomers, that, that Christian who has followed through and, and is faithful like the Philadelphian church, uh, they're going to be a presence within uh, the temple of God. Mm-hmm. They're going to be there. Uh, they're going to be in the midst of the temple uh, with God. The The thing that tells me even more is that next statement says, go out no more. That means that we're going to be in fellowship with God. And that overcomer, the person who finishes to the end, is going to be there with God in the presence of God in his temple and is going to have fellowship with God and is not going to have to go out anymore and go away from God. You're going to be continued to be in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing he talks about writing his name. And uh, the, the interesting thing about writing the name is a symbol of ownership. And I'll give you this example. I'll give you, a, I guess, a, a lighthearted example and, and maybe a little bit more serious example. Um, uh, here, here's the lighthearted example, Dad. As I was reading the scripture, I thought back uh, to a movie I, I used to watch a long time ago. Many of our listeners have probably seen it, Toy Story. Dad, do you remember the Toy Story I movie? I remember that. You watched it a lot just kid. Uh, that's right. I watched that movie a lot. But in that movie... Uh, one of the main toy characters was Woody. He was a cowboy. Mm -hmm. And Andy uh, had this process by which he would write his name on his toys. And so on the bottom of Woody's foot, the toy cowboy, he took uh, a pen or pencil or marker and he wrote Andy Mm -hmm. on the bottom of his shoe. And that was to symbolize that that was his toy. Uh That was his ownership. 
And uh, that is what Jesus is saying here, is that we're going to be branded, if you will, with the name of God on us to symbolize we are owned by God. We are his children. Uh I do the same thing, Dad, with uh, maybe like my tools. I I, go on mission trips with the church and everything like that, and I'll have a tool, and I'll write Parker on there. I'll write my name on there. Again, that's to symbolize ownership. So Jesus is declaring uh, is making the declaration that one day he's going to declare us as his children, and he's going to put his name upon us uh, so that everyone knows that these belong to me and that these are my children, these be- these are my ownership uh, and in my family. And so that just gets me excited to think about that, Dad. I can't wait for the day mm-hmm. when we get to the other side of glory and and uh, we have the New Jerusalem, and uh, we're sitting there, and we've got Jesus' name written across us, uh, and that we're in the family of God for all of eternity. That's going to be a great day. It's an exciting, exactly right. exciting thing to talk about there. And so, Dad, as I was thinking about uh, this and how we can apply it to our life, because, again, every uh, letter that we read, it has an application threefold. One, it was written to the real, literal church in Philadelphia. Uh, One, it's written to churches today, and then it's also written to individuals uh, to read. And so, as I was thinking about it, Dad... Man, what a what a church was the church at Philadelphia uh, mm-hmm. to be called a faithful church and to be given the opportunity, the open door to go and share the gospel uh, in, in one of the most prominent places uh, geographically of its time, being right there on, on if you will, the major interstate right. um, of its time. And I was just thinking, that's what all churches need to strive to be, mm-hmm. is they need to strive to be a, a, a Philadelphia right. a church. They need to be a faithful church, and uh, they need to—I to, was thinking just now as I was uh, listening to a, a talk is— praying that God will provide us an open door. Mm-hmm. You know, many times we talk about, God, will you open doors for us to to have opportunities to do this or that? But uh, as a church, we need to pray for an open door in our community. Right. Uh, you know, we've got our soccer program that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. We do upward soccer. You, you were telling me we got 300 and some odd kids that are going to be out here on our field and their mm-hmm. families. And uh, we need to be praying that God will provide an open door mm-hmm. uh, for us to share the gospel with all of these lives. That's and right. uh, so I would encourage you uh, for your church, if you're listening and you don't attend our church, uh, many of you don't, uh, to be praying that your church will be a faithful church like the church in Philadelphia and that God would provide an open door of ministry uh, by which you could share the gospel. You know, that I've, I've read a lot recently, people have seemed to be very pessimistic uh, even though we're a Christian country here, mm-hmm. that the gospel is, is quote unquote not effective in the United States mm-hmm. anymore, and I, I don't see that as the case. I, I think that it's always effective. It's as effective as it always is. Uh, but we need to be praying that there's an open door for us to actually share the gospel uh, to to the world around us. Yeah, we live in a dark world. And uh, everyone wants to reject the gospel, but if God opens the door, Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, his spirit will work and he'll allow it to happen. That's exactly right. You know, I want to pick up something, Matt, uh, that you had mentioned when you read in verse 11 where he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may come and take your crown. After Jesus comes for the church and the church is raptured, caught up to heaven to be with him, then we as Christians will stand before Jesus and our works will be judged. Mm -hmm. Now, I was thinking as we were uh, uh, looking at this scripture a few moments ago, another scripture comes to mind over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at verses 
13 through 15 that talks about this beam of the judgment seat of Christ when Christians will stand before the Lord and our work will be examined. Now, some people think, well, I didn't think we'd be judged. Well, we're not going to be judged as a Christian for our sins, for our sins have already been judged on the cross, and we put our faith in Jesus when he died uh, to pay the penalty for our sins. That's what I'm talking about. But one day our work will be reviewed. Now, those of you that work for a living, that work for a company, generally there comes a time about once a year when you have your work reviewed. You come for a job evaluation. Now, Matt, when you used to work for the hospital system, it was part of your job to evaluate employees. Mm -hmm. And your evaluation of them was to, I mean, obviously they were still working for you. It was not your goal to fire them. Your evaluation of them was to help them and, and to help them to improve and to see where they could have done things a little bit better. Well, that's what's going to happen when we stand before Uh, Jesus, our work is going to be evaluated. And of course, you know, according to how evaluations work out down here, you know, that depends on whether or not uh, you get a raise and how much of a raise you get, you know, according to what you've done. And of course, our rewards that we receive from the Lord is going to be also dependent upon uh, the quality of the work that we've done for him down here. Some people just do a shoddy job, sermon preparation. They do a shoddy job when it comes to uh, working for the Lord. They put everything else under the sun ahead of working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And and one day your work, your life is going to be evaluated. Listen to what Paul said, starting at verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. And so generally when a metal is heated up, you know, and, and take, for instance, there's gold uh, that's mixed in that metal. The impurities, uh, once uh, that, that, that glob of metal is put to the fire, will rise to the top, you see. And so, you know, that's the stuff. That God is talking about how we will be judged by fire. God is going to look for uh, the pure, the honest, the sincere work, the fully dedicated work done by the power of the Spirit of God. And that work, which is going to be left after our work is tested and put to the fire, will be the work that Christians will be rewarded for. So what Paul is saying, listen, don't let anybody take away your crown. Mm. You know, don't, don't start out good serving God and take your foot off the pedal. Uh, take your hand off the throttle. Some people that's out there listening to this podcast have done that. You were you were faithful in your service to God. You were taking advantage of that open door of opportunity to reach people for Christ, but you got distracted. Don't let anybody take your reward. You know, don't do that. That's exactly right, Dad. And that's a, a great charge to to give to our audience as we get ready to close here. Just encourage all of you um, as we try to apply this letter personally. For us uh, this week as we go forward to try and be uh, Christians like the Christians here and the church in Philadelphia, faithful Christians, uh, faithful Christians who are not afraid to, to speak God's word and keep his word, not afraid of his name, uh, not willing to back down or to compromise, 
um, and are willing to, to serve and, and the open door that God provides to us. So I uh, hope you've enjoyed this, uh, this episode. I hope it's been a blessing to you uh, as we study through the church, uh, the faithful church here in Philadelphia. And uh, if you join with us next time, we'll be covering the last church, and that'll be the lukewarm church over in Laodicea. And there's plenty of uh, application there for today's times. And so uh, we, we hope to have you back next time. Well, Dad, thanks for joining me. Will you pray us out of here? Yeah. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We're glad that you love us. We really are. And Father in Heaven, we're so grateful for how you bless us, Lord. We don't take these blessings for granted. We want to thank you for them. Lord, we know that this message is going out, and we call it Podcast Land. People have listened to it today. And we pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would enable these lay people that are listening uh, to go back to the church and and pray that the church would have an open door to work and that people would not do as the Americans did right after World War II and not take advantage of that open door, that open window of opportunity, but take advantage of it. And right now, with uh, war taking place between Russia and Ukraine, uh Grocery prices uh, going up, gas going through the ceiling, the price of gas, uh, things happening, Lord, that just gives us a feel that uh, the day of the Lord could happen at any time because things are moving in that direction. Uh, God, people are are more open than ever uh, due to the coronavirus. This has happened. They're more open than ever uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, there's some that are getting more hard-hearted, but there are others at the same time that are being more open to us talking to them about Jesus because the Holy Spirit of God is working in their life and helping them to be able to see that uh, things aren't right. And God, people looking for hope, help us, Lord, to take advantage of this opportunity. I know the devil looks at things and saying, we don't want any uh, good crisis to go to waste. He's trying to make things worse. Well, there is a crisis in the world today. And God, uh, this has caused people, God, I believe, to be open, many people, and help us to take advantage in sharing the gospel. I pray somebody listening, if you've laid someone on their heart that they work with, will not wait. Uh, when they get to work Monday, but go right ahead and share the gospel at break time. Tell them about Jesus and leave the results uh, with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.